this morning, we're going to be starting a, uh, a short series going through uh, Pillar DC's values. All right, so uh, here's what we mean when we say our values. Our values are the things that we believe are most important. Okay, These are things that we would say we can't compromise on these things. We hold these things dear. Uh, it's not an exhaustive list of what's important, so we're not saying these are the only things that are important, Okay, but these are things that we believe are so important that we need to constantly make sure that they are informing everything that we do as a church. So one way I'll kind of describe these sometimes is they're the filter through which we make decisions. So you can see our values up here on that banner in the back. So we value the Bible, we value risk-taking faith, bold evangelism, selfless service, intentional discipleship, and the Great Commission. Okay, and so those are the that's the filter through which we make decisions. So one of our values is the Bible. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So when we say that we value the Bible, we mean that we want everything that we do and proclaim to be centered in God's Word. We want everything we do and proclaim to be centered in God's Word in the Scriptures. Now, many people just see the Bible as another old religious book that isn't very relevant to the modern age. Others of you love the, love the Bible and you value the Bible, but you have trouble understanding how to apply what you read in the Bible to your own life. You have trouble relating to it. This morning, I want to make the case for why you should highly value the Bible and I want to show you how it is relevant and profitable for your life. And I want you to value the Bible not because I say you should, not because Thomas says you should, not because Pillar DC says you should, but I want you to value the Bible out of a genuine love for the Word of God. Um, in 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17, the Apostle Paul makes the case for why we ought to value God's Word. And so we're going to read that passage this morning. We're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. We're actually going to go through chapter 4, verse 2. So 2 Timothy 3, 14 through chapter 4, verse 2. 2 Timothy is a small book towards the back of your Bible in the New Testament. It's after 1 Timothy. Eh, you should probably pick up on that, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Um, it's in the pastoral epistles. So 1, 2 Timothy, Titus, uh, it's going to be towards the very back of your Bible. If you get to Hebrews and James, you've gone too far. Uh, I'll give you a second to turn there because um, one of the things I, I want to do a better job of emphasizing as your pastor is encouraging you to actually bring your physical Bible. Uh, it's great that we've got Bibles on our phones and that you can look it up on your phone, whatever you want. That's awesome and it can be very convenient and helpful, but there's nothing in that can substitute the Word of God. And so I want to encourage you to bring your physical Bible with you and follow along whenever we're up here preaching and read the Scriptures for yourself. Don't just take my word for it, because one of the things I'm going to emphasize this morning is that Jared's opinion doesn't mean a hill of beans if it's not rooted in God's Word. I want us to be like the Bereans. I want you guys to search the scriptures, right? And if I say something that's not rooted in God's word, then you ought to bring that to my attention, okay? Because my job up here is to exposit what God's word says to you, not to stand up here and give you my opinions, not to wax eloquent on the latest cultural issues. That's not what I want to do. So I want you guys to, to stay rooted in the scriptures and know the scriptures for yourself. So read along with us. Um, if you forget your Bible, we do have the words on the screen behind me, but I want to encourage you not to depend on that. Bring your own Bible with you, okay? So, 
2 Timothy 3, 14 through 4, 2. I'm going to read it, and then we will pray and jump in. Here's what God's Word says. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word that is living and active, that is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training and righteousness so that the men and women of God can be complete and equipped for every good work. I pray that you would open our eyes as Doug prayed just a moment ago, to behold wondrous things in your word this morning. Because without you, Holy Spirit, we can't even properly apprehend the word of God. We need your help. God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, humble hearts. God, search us this morning and know our ways. Minister to each person. I pray for anybody here that is not born again, that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation, God. Please be merciful. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 2 Timothy was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Uh, Paul was Timothy's mentor uh, or his disciple maker. He was his spiritual father. Paul had led Timothy to faith in Christ. And then Paul had been training Timothy and grooming him. And he had left Timothy in Ephesus to pastor the church there in Ephesus that Paul had helped start. Uh, But there were some challenges, and so Paul was writing to Timothy to encourage him and to give him instruction. Uh, There were a couple of different challenges. One of the big challenges in Ephesus was the false teachers in the church in Ephesus. Uh, There were people who were teaching new, strange doctrines and drawing people away from the gospel. And so Paul warns Timothy, actually in the next two verses in chapter 4, I want to read those for you, uh, verses 3 and 4. He tells Timothy, he says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So so that's one of the things that was going on. That was one of the challenges that Timothy was facing. And not only that, but Ephesus, Timothy was pastoring a church in Ephesus in the midst of a pagan culture. There was immorality and idolatry all around them, godlessness all around them. So you've got these false teachers, you've got people teaching all sorts of strange doctrines, you've got sin running rampant in the city around them. It was a pretty difficult situation for a young pastor. And it's funny though, when you start to think about it, it's not all that different from today, is it? I mean, there's plenty of false teaching being spread around today, there's plenty plenty of sin and immorality and godlessness There's really not anything new under the sun. So what was Paul's exhortation to Timothy in the midst of this context? 
Well, Paul did not encourage Timothy to find a hip new sermon series that would appeal to the younger generation. He did not encourage Timothy to tone down the parts of the gospel that might be offensive to his hearers. He didn't tell Timothy to seek out new revelation or new prophecy from God. What did he tell him? In the midst of that context, Paul urged Timothy to hold fast to the word of God. Look at verse 14. He says, but as for you, Timothy, so the culture around you may be going crazy. There may be all sorts of new teachings. There may be all sorts of sin. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. In other words, Paul urged the young pastor Timothy to highly value and cling to the Bible, to God's Word. This same exhortation is just as urgent for us today. There is nothing new under the sun. There are just as many voices today clamoring for us to abandon the Scriptures, saying that we need new revelation or that the Bible is out of date with the modern age and we need to change things up if we want the church to survive. There is no shortage of voices calling for something like that. And Paul lays out in this passage why we should never do this. He shows us the perfection of God's Word and the profitability of God's Word for our lives. In other words, this passage teaches us what the Bible is and why it is beneficial for us. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And then we're going to finish by looking at some principles for reading the Bible. So the perfection of God's Word, the profitability of God's Word, and principles for reading God's Word. Those are our three points this morning. So let's start with the perfection of God's Word. So in verse 16, Paul uses an interesting word to describe the Scriptures. It's it's translated in the ESV. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. That, That phrase, breathed out by God, is actually one Greek word. It's theonevstos. And it's a Greek word for which we don't really have an English equivalent, but it literally means God breathed. God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. Some translations render it all scripture is inspired by God. By saying that the Bible is God breathed, what that means is that this is not the mere words of men. This is the word of God. It is God's self-revelation of himself to us. So in Scripture, God reveals to us who he is, what he is like, and what his will is. Now, at this point, an objection may rise in your head. You might say, well, Pastor Jared, if men wrote the Bible, then how could we say it is God's word or that it's supernatural in origin, if we know that, that people wrote down the Scriptures. I mean, it didn't just, we didn't just have a Bible drop from heaven you know, and just appear in the middle of nowhere. It was recorded by people. So how can you say this is God's Word? Well, the answer to that question is that God used man as the agency through which Scripture would be recorded. But the Holy Spirit inspired the text. Let me read you uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 that describes this well for us. 
Peter says, know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That word carried along carries the connotation of like, of like a ship with its sails completely up and the wind blowing the sails and carrying the sailboat along the water. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So while Scripture was recorded by man, it is of divine origin. Okay, So God filled the authors of Scripture with His Spirit so that they would record His words. Therefore, Scripture is without error in its original manuscripts because it's not the words of mere men, it's the Word of God. And this is, this is not a new concept. God does this all the time. For example, God saves sinners through the agency of human beings who share the gospel through their verbal witness. Now, you and I would never say, well, well, I saved somebody from their sins when I shared the gospel with them. Well, it's not, it's not we who do the saving. It's God who does the saving. But God, in His wisdom, has chosen that the means by which He's going to save people is through the verbal witness of the church. So we get to be a vessel. We get to take part in that. But clearly, we affirm that it is God who is doing the acting and who is doing the saving. Right? That's the way that the Scriptures were recorded. God worked through man. It was through the agency of man that the Scriptures were recorded, but it is God's Word. They are God-breathed Scriptures. The Word of God, though written by numerous different authors over centuries, is perfect because the Holy Spirit is the divine author of all of Scripture. And this perfection of God's Word is often referred to by theologians as the inerrancy of Scripture. So since the Bible is, is God-breathed and perfect, that means that it necessarily carries with it certain attributes. A couple in particular are the authority of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture. Because Scripture is perfect, because it's the inerrant Word of God, Scripture is authoritative and it's sufficient. I want to talk for a moment about what those two phrases mean. The authority of Scripture means that because the Bible is the very Word of God, it is the final arbiter of truth and the highest authority to which someone can appeal. You can think of the Bible kind of like the Supreme Court. Church tradition might be a lower court and statements of faith and creeds might be like a court of appeals, but the Bible is the Supreme Court. There's no higher authority to which we can appeal than Scripture. And notice that in verse 16, Paul says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Not some of the words, not the parts we agree with, all Scripture. The authority of God's Word has been routinely attacked going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what the serpent did to Adam and Eve what he said when he was tempting them, he said, did God really say, did he really say you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Are you sure that's what God's word says? From the very beginning of creation, God's word has been attacked and subverted. 
Satan cast doubt upon God's word, and he's doing the same thing today. You know, oftentimes people will claim that they can't trust all of the Bible because they'll say things like, well, the Bible contradicts itself or it doesn't make sense. But can I just be honest with you? People don't reject the Bible because the Bible contradicts itself. People reject the Bible because the Bible contradicts their lives. Pastor Roy Smith once said, most people are, troub- are more troubled by what is plain in Scripture than by what is obscure. More people are troubled by what is plain in Scripture than by what is obscure. And that's really the heart of the issue. It's the pride of man that wants to sit in judgment over God's Word. It's the sinful refusal to submit to God's will that casts doubt upon Scripture. It's because the person living in darkness cannot bear to have the bright light of God's Word expose his unrighteousness. That is why so many reject the clear Word of God. Brothers and sisters, this is why faithful Christians cannot compromise on the inerrancy of the Bible. Because if we do that, we set ourselves up as the final arbiter of truth and as the highest authority. It's nothing short of treasonous pride and rebellion against Almighty God. And not only that, but if we cannot trust all of Scripture, then we can't trust any of it. If you reject the For example, if you reject the Bible's clear teaching on hell, how can you be confident about what the Bible teaches about the resurrection or about eternal life or about the forgiveness of sins? If we pick and choose what we accept and what we reject in the Bible, then all of a sudden there is no firm foundation on which to stand. Because who's to say what's true and what's not true? I'll tell you who you're saying, who can say what's true and what's not true. You're saying that you can say what's true and what's not true. You're the final arbiter of truth. Do you see the pride in that? Do you see how arrogant that is for us to set ourselves up over God's word as if we get to determine what's ultimate truth? And and it's a shaky foundation on which to build your lives, I'm just telling you. We are fallible human beings who make mistakes every single day. It's foolish for me to make myself the ultimate determiner of what is true. Guys, once the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture are abandoned, all bets are off. It opens up Pandora's box. I don't know, some of you may have heard uh, uh, this past week about uh, a representative who is an ordained Methodist minister opened up the new session of Congress by praying to the Hindu god Brahma and every other god uh, underneath the sun in addition to the god of the Bible and then concluded his prayer with amen and a woman. And you know, you, you hear stuff like that and you think, well, how, like, where does, that doesn't, it's so crazy, it doesn't even make sense. Like, how do you get there? I'll tell you how you get there. It's when you abandon the scriptures. That's how you get there. Because all bets are off once we abandon God's word. There's no limit to the craziness we can run into whenever we abandon the scriptures because now we get to make up our own truth. It fits with the modern age, but it will lead to destruction and to shipwreck of your faith. Let me ask you, does God's word hold the final authority in your life? There's an easy way to tell. When you come across something in the Bible that you don't understand or that you don't like, you have two options. You can submit to God's word and align your life to it, or you can dismiss it. You can explain it away. You can reject it. You can say, well, I know it seems to say this, but I don't think it means that. 
And look, it's okay to not understand everything you read in the Bible and to ask questions. I'm not saying that you should not be inquisitive, that you should not ask questions of Scripture. What's important is what do you do with those questions? At the end of the day, are you willing to trust what God has said even if you don't fully understand? You should ask questions of the Bible. You should be curious. You should go, God, I don't understand this. Help me understand. But there's a difference between coming to Scripture with the humble posture of a child and the, the proud posture of a cross-examiner, right? When you're approaching God's Word as if you're going to sit in judgment over what He has said. You know, for, for Christians, the authority of Scripture is a great joy because that means we don't have to walk in darkness God has spoken finally and authoritatively. He's given us a sure and certain word that we can trust in, that we can build our lives upon. Our future is not up in the air. Our salvation is not in question. God speaks through His word and we can become acquainted with Him in the Scripture. We don't have to wonder about what He's like or what He's going to do. He tells us. He's speaking through His word. Are you all with me? Since the Bible is God's word, it means that it's also sufficient. Scripture is also sufficient. Kevin DeYoung defines the sufficiency of Scripture as like this. He says, the Scriptures contain everything we need for knowledge of salvation and godly living. They contain everything we need for knowledge of salvation and godly living. That means that we do not need any new revelation from God. The fullness of God's plan of salvation has been revealed in Christ and recorded in Scripture. So here's what that means on just a real practical level. Joseph Smith did not receive new revelation from God. Muhammad did not receive new revelation from God. Bethel Church in Redding, California does not receive new revelation from God. The canon is closed, which means that Scripture is complete. Don't be deceived by people who claim to have a fresh word from God or who claim that, that, that God spoke to them something new that, that's not found in the Bible. We have all that we need in Scripture to know how to be saved and how to live godly lives until as we wait for Christ's return. Everything we need. The Bible is authoritative and it's sufficient, meaning it's complete, has all we need because it's inerrant, because it is the word of God. It has no errors, it has no mistakes, it has no shortcomings. It is complete and good and trustworthy. And not only do we value the Bible, by the way, before I move on to the next point, I just want to, I didn't have time to include this, I really wanted to include some of this. But if you want, if, if you're sitting in your seat thinking, but Jared, hasn't the Bible changed over time? like over and over again, like how can you say that the Bible is inerrant or that the Bible is perfect? Because, I mean, clearly it's changed and it hasn't been preserved over centuries. Um, there is mountains of evidence that we, the scriptures we have today are the same scriptures that were originally written in the first and second centuries because we've got over 25,000 manuscripts and we can compare all those manuscripts. Um, so, quite frankly, it's uh, people who make that argument, it's a lazy argument. Uh, because you can do about 15 minutes of research online, and you can actually go and look at the original at the at the manuscripts yourselves, and see over 6,000 Greek manuscripts and over 25,000 other manuscripts of scripture. We can compare those scriptures dating all the way back to the second century, and we can see that they have not changed over time. 
They're the same. It's the same Bible we have today that they had in the second century, and it hasn't changed. So you can have confidence. If you want to talk to me more about that, I can talk about it all day, but we got to move on in the sermon. So not only do we value the Bible because it is the perfect Word of God, but we value the Bible because of its profitability. So let's talk about the profitability of God's Word. So Scripture is profitable for the non-Christian and the Christian alike. So if you're not a Christian, the Word of God is the means through which you can be saved. Paul says in verse 15 of 2 Timothy 3, he says that it is the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. Uh, That word writings, it's the same Greek word for Scripture, graphe, same exact word. So when Paul says the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation, he's referring to the Scriptures. So we preach the Word of God because the Bible contains the message of salvation. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 of 2 Timothy 4 again. Paul tells Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. This is the passage that God used to originally call me into ministry 10 years ago. It was a Wednesday night. I was sitting in a little church called First Baptist Church Church of Florence, Texas. Pastor Troy Allen was preaching. I wasn't really paying attention to what he was saying. I was actually reading further along in my Bible. Uh, He was preaching out of 2 Timothy 3, and I went ahead, and I was reading 2 Timothy 4, and I'll never forget when I read these words. And I knew that God was calling me to preach the gospel. We preach the word because there is no other gospel by which people can be saved. Paul says in in, in verses 1 and 2 of 2 Timothy 4 here that Jesus Christ is Lord over all and that he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. That means that upon his return, every single person will be brought before the great white throne, the judgment seat of God to give an account for their lives. Every single one of you. Every single person on this planet, everybody will stand before God to give an account for their lives. Not one person will be accepted. We, 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 even the dead will be raised to stand before God. That's what it means when he says the living and the dead. And not one person will be able to justify his or herself before God. Every single person has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Which means that we need a Savior. Because if you are certainly going to stand before God and you are certainly going to come up short and all of your sin will certainly be exposed on that day, that's a problem for you and for me unless someone steps in and does something about it. And the Bible tells us who that someone is and what he has done. His name is Jesus. God's word, the scriptures, reveals how holy God is, how sinful we are, and it reveals God's wonderful plan of salvation. It reveals how Jesus Christ became a man. He took on flesh so that he could die on the cross in the place for sinners. And it tells us how he rose from the dead three days later. And the Bible explains how it is by repentance from sin and faith in Jesus alone that we can be forgiven of our sins. It is only through faith in Jesus that you can stand before God on judgment day and be counted as innocent. Jesus died to take the punishment that sinners 
deserve, and He gives us His righteousness as a free gift that's received by faith alone. So on that day, when Jesus judges the living and the dead, before His throne, everyone is going to be judged by what they have done. Scripture tells us. Sinners will be punished for all their lawless deeds and rebellion. Every evil thought that you have thought, every evil deed that you have done in secret, every curse that you've muttered under your breath, all of it will be publicly exposed and sinners will be condemned. But if you trust in Jesus, you will not be punished for your sin. In fact, you will be rewarded because Jesus, because of your faith in Him, gives you His righteousness as a gift. So instead of being punished, you get rewarded. You get an inheritance. You're a co-heir with Christ. And that's a free gift of God that was purchased by the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for you. And it's by faith in Him alone that you can receive it. That's the good news that the Scriptures unfolds for us. That's why the Scriptures are profitable for every man and every woman. That's why we ought to proclaim them. That's why we will never waver from the inerrancy of Scripture as a church. God's Word infinitely prospers those who have ears to hear. I'll just ask you, have you trusted in Christ? Have you placed your faith in Him? Are you saved? You can do that this morning. I urge you to turn away from your sin and to place your faith in Jesus to be forgiven of your sins this morning. Receive this free gift from God. And God's Word is profitable for salvation, but not just for salvation. It's also profitable for sanctification. Christians need God's Word like our body needs food. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Those two Greek words in verse 17 that are translated complete and equipped, they basically mean the same thing. They, they both mean equipped. So the sense that Paul is driving home is that God's Word is able to super-equip believers for spiritual maturity. The Word of God super equips you to grow in Christ-likeness. It means that reading the Bible is not just a box we check. It's not just a, a pick-me-up when we need encouragement or when we need motivation. As we spend time in God's Word, our lives will reflect, will reflect it. We'll be super equipped for every good work. Paul explains a couple of specific ways that God's Word does this in verse 16. He says that God's Word is profitable for teaching. It, it, God's Word teaches us. So Scripture teaches us what is true about God. It equips us to have sound doctrine so that we aren't led astray. We can know what's true about God by going to His Word so that that protects us from teachings that are false about Him. And so many people pull all sorts of crazy ideas about God from so many different places, but we need to let God speak for Himself in His Word. Like I said earlier, be like the Bereans. Test everything against the Word of God, including what we say here from the pulpit. Paul says that God's Word is profitable for reproof. 
God's word reproves us. The word reproof just conveys, conveys the idea of bringing something to light. It's the idea of exposing something. So in other words, God's word convicts us of our sin. It ex- exposes what is not right in our lives so that it can, it can uh, help us grow in righteousness. For example, when you read Jesus' words in Matthew 5 when he says, if anyone even looks at a woman with lust for her, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. That exposes the sin of lust and sexual immorality in the believer. It helps drive you away from lust when you read that because the conviction of God's Word shines into your heart and you don't feel comfortable staying in that sin. That's a good thing. It's not super comfortable when it's happening, but it's for your own good. It's one of the ways that God's Word helps us grow in godliness. God's Word also corrects us. It says it's profitable for correction. It's a similar idea to reproof. It just means that God's Word straightens out in us what is crooked. Sin always distorts and twists what God has made good. But as believers spend time in God's Word, His Word restores what sin has marred. So if there's a specific area of your life that's been a constant source of frustration, or maybe some area of besetting sin... I would encourage you to memorize scripture that speaks directly to it. So, for example, if you're struggling with fear in sharing the gospel, memorize Luke 6, 22 and 23, where Jesus says, Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for your reward is great in heaven. What a powerful scripture to battle fear and evangelism. Or... Maybe you struggle with assurance of your salvation and you're, you're worried about, am I really saved? You can memorize Romans 8, 1, where it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a powerful word for those who are discouraged and those who are worried about their standing before God. God's word in Ephesians 6 is called the sword of the Spirit. It's a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. Don't leave it lying to the side. Take up the the sword of the Spirit and wield it in 2021, church. God's Word trains us as well. It says it is profitable for training in righteousness. That word training is the same word used for discipline in Hebrews chapter 12. It's like fatherly instruction. God's Word is like a wise and gentle father instructing his child. So many believers don't profit from God's Word because they don't spend much time in it. You can't expect to grow in godliness if spending time in God's Word is something that you do only when you have spare time. Psalm 1, 2, and 3 says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. The Christian who abides in Jesus and his word will be super equipped to live a life that's pleasing to God. That person will bear fruit even in the dry seasons, even when circumstances are hard because they're planted by streams of water. Now, I want to close by giving you just a few quick handlebars for how to do this, how to read God's Word. So let's talk real quick about some principles for reading God's Word. 
Uh, number one, read, Scott, read God's Word consistently. Read God's Word consistently. If you want to grow in godliness, you need to prioritize spending time with God and His Word. You can't just dabble in reading the Bible. Now, I want to say this gently, but it needs to be said. I know for a fact that there are many of you, just because I, some I've talked to, and also just because percentage-wise, I just know that it's true in a room this size, that there, this will be true of some Christians. There are some of you who have been Christians for years, and you have never read the entire Bible. You've never read the entire Bible. There are entire books of the Bible that you've literally never read. Brothers and sisters, this ought not be the case. It's heartbreaking. It should not be. God has given us His Word as a gift so that you can know Him. How can you grow in Christ-likeness and in your knowledge of God if there are entire portions of the Scripture that you have never even read? How can you, how can you know Him? Now, I'm not... I'm not saying this to shame you, but in hopes that it will wake you up. It's to your own detriment that you reject the Scriptures and that you don't place them at the top of your priority list. If you want things to change, you need to prioritize God's Word. Yes, you may be busy. I understand that. We're all busy. But we make time for what we value, don't we? And we do. Somehow you find time to eat lunch and dinner every single day. Why? Because you know that if you don't eat food, you're going to get really tired and eventually you're going to die. Do you understand that if you don't eat your spiritual food, that you're going to get really tired and really weak spiritually and it could lead to death if you completely neglect it? A.W. Tozer said this, he said, Whatever keeps me from my Bible is my enemy, no matter how harmless it appears to be. I want to urge you to make the daily reading of Scripture one of your highest priorities in 2021. Please don't neglect it. If you've never read through the Bible all the way through, I have good news for you. We have a Bible reading plan, and we're reading through the, the entire Bible as a church together this year. You can pick up that Bible pl reading plan at the info table downstairs on your way out, or you can download it online, pillardc.com under the resources tab. Don't make excuses, just prioritize it. Read through the scriptures with us this year. Make this year the year that you read through the Bible for the first time. I promise you it'll be a blessing to your life. Read God's word consistently and read God's word diligently. And it's amazing what taking time to think and meditate can do when you read the Bible. If you try to squeeze in a quick 10-minute study of the Bible uh, for your daily Bible reading, you're going to get a surface-level reading of scripture. So the mini devotions, you know, like the Our Daily Bread things, those are good to prime the pump, but not alone. If that's, if that's, the, the, if that's you know, the, the sum of your Bible reading, it's kind of like living on a diet of potato chips. Like it's not really going to do you good in the long run. It might get you by every now and then, but it's just to prime the pump. Uh, some of you may have heard of John Bunyan. He was a, an English preacher and writer in the 1600s. He's famous for writing the book Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, he was, what many people don't know about him is that he was persecuted for his faith and he spent 12 years in prison for his faith. And he wrote this at one point. He said, I never knew all there was in the Bible until I spent those years in jail. 
I was constantly finding new treasures. It's amazing what taking time to listen and meditate on God's Word will do. So when you read the Bible, ask lots of questions. Uh, There's lots of tools and ways to do this. One helpful one is an acronym called REAP, R-E-A-P. stands for Read, Examine, Apply, and Pray. So read first, so read God's Word and, uh, and, and just kind of observe general observations. Examine, so ask questions like, what does this teach me about God? What does it teach about man? What's the main point? And then apply, ask questions like, how does this apply to my life? What are the commands to obey? Are there any promises to believe? And then pray, and then pray through the scripture that you just read. There's actually, we've got a printout of this as well. Uh, there's a guide downstairs at the info table, and you can pick this up and hand it, uh, take it home with you as well. Uh, it's also on uh, our website, PillarDC.com, in the resources tab. This is just another resource to help you as you read the Bible, to help you read through the scriptures, and to, to not just read them, but to actually uh, uh, to study them and meditate on what God's Word is saying so that you can hide it in your heart. So read God's Word consistently, diligently. Read God's Word humbly. Let the Word of God shape your life. Like I said earlier, don't approach the Bible like a cross-examiner, but like a humble, curious child. Ask questions, but humbly submit when you run up against what you don't understand. And lastly, read God's Word delightedly. Read God's Word delightedly. Um, Psalm 119 uh, I love Psalm 119. It's a, it's a chapter in the Psalms that basically talks about uh, the beauty of God's Word. And um, there's a few Psalms from Psalm 119 up behind me. Psalm 119.20 says, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Verse 47, I find delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What makes the scriptures so lovely? Like, what would cause somebody to talk about God's word like this? It's because the Bible reveals to us the glory of God. It is, after all, God's living and active word. There's no greater good, there's nothing more glorious than God. The reason that many people struggle to delight in the Bible, like, Psalm 119 describes is that they're not reading the Bible to hear from a person. They're reading out of a sense of duty. Like, this is what I need to do to be a good Christian. This is what I need to do to go to heaven. Or this is what I need to do because it's what my pastor expects of me. If you read out of a sense of duty, you're never going to delight in God's word like that. Christians don't read the Bible because we ought to but rather out of our love for the God who is speaking to us in it. We want to know Him. He's our treasure. It's, at, it's, it's, it's with a sense of like Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. A heart that cries out like that to God, loves and treasures God's word and wants to go and seek God in his word. Wants to hear God's voice and wants to know God more. It's a love for the God of the scriptures that cultivate a love for the scriptures in your heart. It's not a sense of duty. 
You're never going to be able to read God's word delightedly. That's my prayer for you is that you'll read and treasure God's word with delight this year. God wants to meet you in his word in 2021. In the Bible, the riches of his glory are displayed. There is an endless sea of beauty waiting for those who come to the scriptures consistently, diligently, humbly, and delightedly. I pray that you will value and treasure the Bible with us this year and every year because God's word is perfect and it's profitable. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to go ahead and close out our time uh, of worship this morning um, by singing a closing song. But uh, before we do that, I want to pray. And if you need prayer, if you'd like somebody to pray with you, we're going to have a couple of prayer counselors in the back through those double doors And I'd invite you to please go and pray with somebody this morning. Um, Maybe uh, maybe there's just something going on in your life that you need prayer for. Or maybe you want to take the opportunity because you're not sure if you're actually a Christian. You're not sure if you're born again. And Today, you can make the decision to do that. We would love to pray with you. Or um, Maybe you just need to rededicate your life to Christ. And you know you haven't been living in the way that God wants you to. And you want to turn back to Him this morning. I'd invite you to go and pray with one of our prayer counselors in the back as we're singing. Uh, So let me pray, and then the worship team will, will close us out. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Your word is perfect and good. We worship you. We thank you for this gift of the Bible, that you are not a God who's distant and far off, who hides himself, but you've made yourself known. You've revealed yourself to us in your word and in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the good news of the gospel that's found in your word by which you've saved us. God, I pray that this year we would commit ourselves as a church and as individuals to reading your word and meditating on your word so that we would bear fruit, so that our lives would bring you glory and praise. And God, may your word go forth from this place. May Pillar DC always be faithful to your word, no matter what the culture says around us, no matter what's going on around us. God, give us the strength and the courage to stand fast on your word and to continue to proclaim it, and to never waver from it. God, we love you. We worship you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.